0: www.stoptnr.com, which is kind of crazy that that, um, (laughs) you know, that was still available. That's
1: about to say the same thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it was. We have it.
2: You are listening to Urban Wildlife Podcast.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. As always, we are a part of the Wildlife Observer Network. Please check out all of our wonderful podcasts. Uh, today, we have a discussion about uh, about cats, outdoor cats. It's been a while since we've had an outdoor cat discussion. Some activists from, some advocates from Tulsa reached out to us. We're going to hear about their challenges uh, on the local, like regulatory level, over this issue of policies around outdoor cats, basically. As always, you can reach out to us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com, which is how these folks got in touch with us. We say it many times. If you've got an idea for a podcast, please tell us because we, we all quite often say yes and invite you on to, to talk more about what you got going on. Um, and of course, you can hit us up on Twitter at urbanwildlifecast. Cast. We also have a Facebook page, uh, which has been a little quiet lately, but still we keep an eye on it. So if you've got any ideas, it's another way you can get in touch with us. I'm one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown, and this is Tony Crosdale, another one of our co-hosts. Um, Bobby. and then uh, Zach, um, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Well, yeah, I'm Zach Poland, um, Tulsa resident. I have a science background. I would say that I'm pretty passionate about you know ecology, uh, science, um, all aspects of of this issue, and you know, looking forward to talking. Uh, to you all, big fan of the entire family of podcasts uh, that you guys uh, put out. So appreciate um, appreciate you having me on.
1: Great. And Valerie, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Sure. I'm Valerie O'Brien. I am a Tulson as well. I was born in Tulsa, moved away for a little while, and then have been here again since 1988. And I have always loved nature and the outdoors, animals of all sorts, and that's led me to become a wildlife disease ecologist. I got my PhD here in Tulsa uh, working on the effects of an introduced species on disease dynamics. So I've always been interested in how what we would call anthropogenic influences affect the environment. And affect animals living in that environment. So I've done some research on anthropogenic effects of uh, on mosquitoes and midges and insects that birds eat, uh, things like that. I also happen to have done some animal animal welfare work here in Tulsa, starting in the 90s. I worked within the uh, Tulsa Animal Shelter trying to help get. Uh, pets adopted and have done fostering and things like that. So I, ha- I come at, I come at this from a couple of different places, uh, you know a couple of different directions.
1: That's awesome. and I think maybe we'll call you back about midges and, and mosquitoes.
3: would love it. I was thinking about that. I'd love to uh, to talk to you about that.
2: I'm Pam Gocher and I'm an attorney. I'm a retired attorney with JP Morgan and I'm a Tulson. I've been interested in this issue. I've also been interested in animal welfare for many years. I was on the board of Spay Oklahoma, and I just love nature. I love birds. I love wildlife. And I've always thought that we need to be sensible about dealing with overpopulation of cats and dogs in Tulsa, all over the country. I
1: I was thinking about this like an hour ago. I was like, maybe Tony or I will start off with like our... Our, our short version of, of what TNR is and sort of why outdoor cats are a bad idea for reasons that have to do with wildlife, because this is the Urban Wildlife Podcast. Um, but then I thought, hey, let's ask our guests. Um, Valerie, why is it a bad idea to have cats outside?
3: Well, one of the things that I find it, it a bad idea in a number of different ways, and one of those things I know that Zach is, is very passionate about as well, is the effects on wildlife, um, cats are introduced species, just like house sparrows are. And they are happen to also be domesticated animals. And because of that, our ecology of the environment that that they are in, if they're outdoors, will, is not really their natural environment to live in. And, and that's pretty evident when you recognize that I mean, last time I went out to a natural area, Turkey Mountain or somewhere, a state park or somewhere, I didn't see feral cats running around. Um, There was a reason for that. They can't survive without being fed. They don't, they have not naturalized like, for example, house sparrows have. House sparrows were introduced 150 years ago uh, from Europe and house sparrows now have been very successful. They're on all continents, but uh, Antarctica, and that'll be coming. Cats, on the other hand, depend on humans to survive. Um, However, cats outside are very damaging to uh, various types of wildlife. And I think there are other reasons um, also that I'd love to talk about. And Zach will have more I'm sure information about the kinds of impacts that cats have on other, you know, on wildlife.
1: Sounds like a great segue to Zach. Zach, um, what are some of those impacts?
0: Uh, I agree with everything that Valerie said. I am a birder. That's, that's pretty much my main hobby. So anytime I see, uh, any sort of invasive species or or whatever introduced species that that's that's always a concern the ecologic impacts of this species is huge and um but beyond that i think what is unique maybe about this situation is that it impacts uh, human health or public health there's a you know property rights issue associated with it there is um all these ancillary issues of this thing that um, it really has in Tulsa's particular case and I assume this is happening all over the country is it really has united a huge group of people with sometimes quite different focus areas or whatever and it's It's united us on this particular issue, whether it's business owners, homeowners, um, concerned about what my uh, neighbor is doing with allowing these domesticated species to run rampant across the neighborhood, or you're looking at it from a, a human health, animal health, ecologic impact. It's bad on all those levels, and it's appalling that uh, that this this is uh, going on, or the attempts to make this, uh, you know, okay.
1: And so the, the this that we're talking about, I think, is is what will be sometimes called well, well, what the advocates for it call TNR, or trap, neuter, release. And so, just really quick version, it's the, it's the idea that that if you neuter the cats that are outside that are unowned then they'll stop having babies and thus they will dwindle away all on their own. I see head shaking, but that's the logic. That's the purported logic of it. We've talked a lot in this podcast about how that in practice doesn't actually work very well um, because this is usually coupled with feeding operations where people are putting out food for cats, which then feeds the unneutered cats. Also um, it sort of adds as a big magnet for people who are dumping cats. Um, And so you never really get, it's really hard to actually reduce these, these sort of local outdoor cat populations if you're throwing food at them, even if you are neutering some of them. Um, in the meantime, they're still out there, you know, posing disease risks. They're still out there, you know, wandering into your garden and pooping in it. They're still out there killing birds or snakes or frogs or chipmunks, what have you with that sort of out there. We know sort of why cats are a big problem. They kill, (sighs) in the order of billions of um, small animals around North America. You know, Tony and I have both with our, we both witnessed this, you know, with different species, you know, birds or snakes and things like that. And one of the things I find interesting about this issue, someone with my own background is actually public policy, um, is that you have some issues that are national, where you have like, you know, national organizations fighting it out, you know, like, I don't know, like, let's say um, Sierra Club dealing with, legislative policy on a national level around some big polluting industry this is one though that happens at the local level where all of these legislative regulatory battles seem to happen in like city councils and and county boards and that kind of stuff Um, and so this is one of the reasons that when when um, these folks reach out to us I was kind of this is a neat thing to talk about because it's this is where the rubber actually means the road so let's hear about sort of whether Valerie or Zach what is actually what is happening in that legislative way in in Tulsa what is going on that is that is uniting you guys and and has and is the challenge that you're facing
3: well I think if I might um, I want I want to add something to what you said first about this idea of the, of this happening locally I've been thinking a lot about my experience as an animal welfare volunteer and my experience trying to work within our Tulsa animal shelter, uh, in trying to get animals adopted. And I will say when you witness the suffering and the abundance of animals that come through the doors of an underfunded, understaffed facility, it, it radicalizes you. It can really radicalize you. It can cause you to become angry and frustrated. You, 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 keep trying every week you come back, every week you volunteer, every week you try to get animals adopted. And yet more and more and more are euthanized and more and more and more come in. And I actually stopped volunteering at Tulsa Animal Welfare a couple of years ago, probably about three years ago. I just hit my last straw because it was so desperate that I felt I was emptying the ocean with a teaspoon and I could not emotionally handle it anymore. And I think it, that's an important thing for us to understand about why people would turn to this sort of pseudo solution to this problem. These are people that are animal lovers. They they happen to love cats or, or that's what they get focused on. And other people love dogs and other people love horses. and And they become focused on this. And this is presented to them. For one thing, sometimes they will feed because they love these animals. They can't stand to see them suffer. They know that if they take them to animal shelter, they're likely to be euthanized. And so they feed them because they don't want them to die. That is understandable. It's hard to get past that, I think, uh, emotional sense When you're trying to, you know, I know that as a policy person, that you know that emotions trump attempts to beget policy. Constantly, you're always having to talk about well, how we how do we deal with humans being so illogical and irrational? Frequently with these kinds of things. Well, there's a reason that we become illogical and irrational. We're not just born that way necessarily, and some of us like. Zach and myself, and and it sounded like Tony you become science nerds, and we read research papers, and we become versed in that. And so we use a different kind of mental framework. So I, I didn't mean to not answer that question. Um, but I would say that the that particular, I believe that TNR takes advantage of a sense of desperation. And when it is presented Absolutely. as a solution to y- constant euthanasia, then more and more of these radicalized individuals get on board with it because all they they don't see a solution. There, there isn't one that's being offered to them. And I think that we have to understand something important about TNR. It's about no kill, it's about not killing cats. It's not about lowering cat populations per se. I mean, lowering cat populations would be an indirect way to not kill cats, right? Because the less kittens you have, the less cats you have, the less cats get killed. Sure, that would be great. But we know from the data that that's not what happens. This is about no kill, and that's an important thing. I think we have to consider too, as far as how it got started in Tulsa. Um, the only thing I think that I would say, and then maybe maybe Zach will have more on that because I know Zach has followed this closely. I've met him in early on, and in, in, in these animal welfare commission meetings, um, is that is that I witnessed the the helplessness that the Tulsa Animal Welfare employees had in being able to solve the problem. And so I'm not, I think it would make it really easy for organizations to come in and influence people who are trying to do this. And I believe that's largely Uh, maybe what has occurred. Some of the organizations that are now completely on board with TNR were not completely on board with TNR when I volunteered at the shelter years ago. They were all about spay and neuter. Uh, Tulsa Alliance for Animals was all about spay and neuter, all about spay and neuter. And now is very much in favor of that.
0: Yeah. I just want to go back to the previous question. I mean, uh, if I can, for a second is um, this This appears to be a local issue, but the reality of the situation is you have national organizations who are in favor of TNR who are singling out municipalities, counties, and bringing their money into these places and are winning, quote unquote, battles. on a county and city level. This is this appears to be a city, municipal, local issue. But the reality of the situation is these are national organizations who are um, fighting local battles against often a ununited and underfunded um,
1: and an opposition.
0: And yeah. and yeah. win.
1: So you've got a national group like Best Friends, which has done this 100 times before. And then you have your your local birders, other animal welfare advocates who don't believe in, in, in TNR, who never fought this legislative battle before. And so you're sort of right. caught flat footed.
0: This has been going on. I mean, let's be frank. This has been going on with individuals and organizations on some level in uh, Tulsa and you know countrywide for a long time this in Tulsa came to a head we've been fighting this thing uh, TNR for two or even three years now and we've been having ongoing public meetings uh, associated with the uh, animal welfare committee that is appointed by the mayor of the city of Tulsa specifically to handle some of the uh, evaluation and quote-unquote modernization. I use that in a pretty loose term. City ordinances associated with animal welfare and uh, ownership. So TNR was originally formally uh, introduced as a potential uh, city ordinance change uh, to Let's be real. Right now, um, you can't aban- abandon pets in the city of Tulsa or most places, which is what this is. I mean, this is this is basically abandonment of pets on a large scale and uh you know distributing them out in the city. So, the proposal was to change the city ordinances in order to allow trap-neuter release and make it part of the animal control apparatus, I guess, is is how I pr- would you know describe it. And that's been going on for, for about three years now.
1: Um, basically, what we're seeing, which you see a lot of places, is that after TNR has been going on, usually, like, people or volunteers are doing it kind of with a nod and a wink in a lot of t- places from the animal control officials, that then what happens is the national organizations like Best Friends or like Cat Allies, groups like that will come in and 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 sort of help the folks who are the local TNR practitioners or advocates to then seek uh, sort of official legal recognition of the practice. So that way no one can say that they're violating the law by dumping a whole bunch of cats outside in a park or in an alley behind a, a shopping center or something like that. Um, and so that way it protects it so that when um, people who, for reasons, all the reasons we've been talking about for public health or animal welfare or environmental reasons having to do with wildlife. When those folks then say, Hey, wait, what are we doing with all these cats, you know, parked out here next to the next to the park over there, there there's, you know, it's a terrible idea to have them there. They can't do anything about it because now it's protected by law. Oftentimes these can go back and forth, like with all kinds, with all the, all the twists and turns of any local um, legislative or regulatory battle, you know, for people who, who might get, get sort of, glaze over with all with maybe all the details of, of what can happen at a local level sort of where are you guys sitting now like talk a little bit about the coalition that's come together or the the folks who have banded together to try to advocate for what we would you know tend to consider to be good policy
3: i was very excited to see at first when we when the animal welfare commission was uh, had begun i attended as a citizen just saw the announcements about it and attended and I remember meeting Zach there he was very outspoken at meetings and obviously other people in the community were as well but there hasn't been an organized at least visible to me there wasn't a really openly organized opposition for the for the reasons that were outlined uh, it it for one thing he had a you got a bunch of nerds, we're not that great at this stuff. We like to go outside and look at lizards and stuff. And, and we're not policy people. I'm not political and, you know, things like that. And people are coming at it from lots of disparate places. So it's really hard to get people together, as you've said. So I am was excited to learn about what was going on um, with this organization. And... I think that we can build on this and I, I'm hoping that we can present a very compassionate yet reasoned argument for why we need to have different solutions, why this is not the solution to cat overpopulation or cat suffering. And that's that. where we are right now is it seems like things are at, I wouldn't say a lull, but they're not at a fever pitch. And so there may be some time um, to put some things forth. Although we know that the TNR proponent organizations are working very hard to put out some public statements and are continuing to lobby and, and so forth. So I think it's we have time, but at the same time, we need to take action. I think there's a lot of potential to try to bring these disparate folks together that have some questions about TNR. Don't don't think it's necessarily a good idea. And and one of the one of the groups I'd like to honestly bring in are people who have worked in animal welfare and who care about the lives of animals. I, I of, of domestic animals. I consider this inhumane to cats. It's not humane. I've watched, I watched a community cat killed by a dog in the street while I was sitting on my porch having a beer one night. And it was a dog on a leash that a young woman was walking. I, it was tragic. It was traumatic. It was traumatic for the cat. It was traumatic for the young woman. It was traumatic for the neighbor's We should care enough about the cats to not have them undergo that kind of death. We should care enough for the community that we should not have our community members subject to dead animals in the street, starving cats with their eyes crusted over, watching their beloved dog kill a cat in the backyard. These are things that I think that we can... I think that's important for people to think about when they're thinking about this issue.
1: Yeah. This is one of the reasons that I get frustrated with the term no kill. Um, because it's, it's, it's basically no kill in the shelter.
2: Um, yeah, it,
0: it moves the, uh, it moves the killing to. Um, some other place where it's harder to uh, see witness. Yeah. Right. It,
3: it It makes the, the shelter numbers go down. I, I think that one of the reasons that one of the issues that we have, and as a, a, a scientist, I, I'm very interested in counting things, you know, I'm interested in numbers, I'm interested in quantifying. And one of the things that we have at animal shelters are metrics. We have numbers of animals that come in, we have where the animals come from, we have numbers of animals that we euthanize are required to keep those kinds of metrics. One of the things that we don't tend to have and that we don't fund are surveys and more environmental metrics. So we don't know how many cats are run over by cars every year. We don't know how many cats are, are truly at large in Tulsa County. And it's easy to look at one the place where they have to enumerate in order to, they have to report. And so it's easy to look at those numbers and try to change those numbers than it is to say, yeah, we don't really know. Let's, let's go out and, you know, we can't really afford to pay somebody to go around and see how many. So we don't really know. So I think that's one of the reasons that no kill is as popular as it is and why the focus is there because we can count.
1: Maybe Zach, introduce us to birding in Tulsa. Um, I know that uh, I am <laughs> I myself am more of a, a herping guy, but I know like, you know, people like birds too. You know, Tony and I could go on forever about like what interesting birds we see in very, in, in places in Philadelphia, people don't always think of as, as birding, and I'm using air quotes here, nature spaces or wild spaces. What are highlights if you're, if you're, you got binoculars and you're walking around Tulsa?
0: Uh, What time of year? I mean, we got everything. We got uh, we've got wintering uh, Smith's longspur in the in the uh, city limits of Tulsa. We've got breeding. I was going to
4: mention Smith's longspur as soon as talking about birding in Tulsa. (laughs) I was like, that's your bird, right? That's your like classic, yeah, like big deal bird. How about Harris
3: sparrows, Tony?
0: Yeah, we got we got Harris's sparrows winter. We got breeding. You know, interior lease turns on the uh, the Arkansas River. Uh, I can go on and on. We got, uh, Eastern warblers, uh, in migration. We've got, uh, gulls and ducks, uh, on the, uh, man-made lake. So, um, you yeah, know, we, I could talk all day about, yeah. about this, but, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I, mean, I,
1: I think it's good to mention cause it's stuff like, like it's, uh, it's, we're not doing you, people who, who get frustrated about outdoor cats aren't doing it because they have some kind of, abstract dislike of outdoor cats or something like that. Um, It's because we see an impact on things that, that are valuable. Um, And, uh, and I think that are beautiful and wonderful and are worth highlighting. Also, I think the Tony once like uh, uh, Tony, you talk about, I'm about to say what you said, but you know, when you had found that um, just like as a cat in your neighborhood that had a white-throated sparrow in its mouth.
4: Yeah. I mean, like I just looked down one day getting out of my, my, my old apartment and there's, you know, a cat and, an, and his mouth was a way through a sparrow. And I was just thinking like this bird, I mean, you know, was just probably a few weeks ago was if it just finished breeding in a boreal bog somewhere and, in, in in you know, North cat, Northern Canada and came down here to like, a west foot off in your backyard and now it's lunch for a cat it's pretty clearly someone's pet they're let outside it's just you know it's just very sad and cruel and you know while <clears> throat> my throat is sparrows i mean i think they are in decline but they are a pretty very common bird i mean but for birds that are a lot you know smaller populations um this could be you know this could be really 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 big, you know, like we're talking about Smith's long spurs. I mean, that bird has this very, very small wintering range. And so, you know, policies about TNR could really impact that species. And it's a ground foraging species. It's very vulnerable to be, um, cat food. Yeah.
3: And Tony,
0: it's, 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 you know, they're, they're in the grasslands out by the, uh, by the airport, um, where, you know, it's convenient to, to, to abandon cats. So, I mean, I agree. This is, this is, this is the urban wildlife uh, podcast. And um, I think the misconception is that um, there is no wildlife in urban areas, which is, you know, not true. I've got over 150 species in my metropolitan park down the street, uh, a bird species that's not including uh, mammals or, amphibians or anything else so um it's a it's it's false that um that this doesn't impact wildlife it impacts human life it impacts wildlife it impacts um it it impacts everything so um i i want to go back to um the organization that we built i think uh, that was Um, you know, the question, and you know, we've got uh, the organization uh, has a website, it's called um, you know, Tolson's per for public safety. Uh, you can go to www.stoptnr.com, which is um, kind of crazy that that um, (laughs) you know, that IRL is was still available, but
1: um, uh, same thing,
0: (laughs) but it was, we have it, um. And you know these 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 are people. This organization is is comes from every background. These are wildlife advocates. These are uh, doctors of veterinary medicine. These are um, medical doctors. These are lawyers. These are um, stay-at-home parents. We are people from all backgrounds who. Think that this is a bad idea for whatever reason, and um, you know we we have the benefit in some ways that this has happened various parts of the country, and so there is a specific playbook that I think a lot of these organizations use to um, exploit um, municipalities and get their way. Um, so. We are fortunate in the fact that um, this has been going on um, across the country for for a while now. And we kind of understand the MO of these organizations and we can start to, um, you know, push back, educate the public on what some of the alternatives are. But the flip side of that is they've won victories over... Um, a lot of, you know, cities, municipalities that are, um, you know, much larger than than Tulsa, and so there is a sort of wave of momentum that that these organizations have. So that's it's it's kind of a balance of what we're what we're dealing with, right? Um,
1: uh, something I'm, I'm, I I'd like to throw in here, which is that you can get the sense of inevitability. But I have, and in Philadelphia where I wish we had an organization quite like that, um, that like when I talk to people I know in the city, in a way, sometimes it sounds like your mayor's a little bit more into TNR than, than a lot of other places. I think a lot of places, local officials are they they just want to get these people out of their offices or out of their their meetings. And and so but but there's with that that in a way. They would almost. They, I think in some cases they would welcome an organized um, opposition in a way because then they could point to say, "Oh wait, we actually do have people who oppose this TNR thing," um, and and it isn't just me saying it's a bad idea. Um, but I'll I'll I, I like to put that point out there because I think we can have this wave, mm-hmm. this sense of inevitability about it. Um, but the, the other thing I wanted to just say is is this is really impressive. I'm sitting here trying to think of other local similarly organized efforts around this on the, on, I don't want to frame it as anti-TNR. It's the wrong way to put it. It's like, it's because it, it, it's, it's, it, it's, cause again, you're sort of seeding something to the other, to, to the, the proponents of it when you say it that way, I think sort of sound animal policy, I guess, that you don't see this kind of organizing get as far as you guys have taken it. Um, and that's really impressive. I don't, I don't think, I mean, like New York city doesn't have anything like that. Um, I mean la you've got like a couple biologists you know who are, who, are, who are slogging you know who are who are slogging through there in Philly um, and I think nationally in a lot of cases organizations that should have this as their mission to do things to protect birds um, and other animals from whatever the threats may be to them um, whether that's uh, you know power lines that they're flying into um, whether that's windows are flying into um, you know, really steer clear of the cat question. Um, and uh, I, I, again, I like to, as a quick anecdote, like why this frustrates me, I have a, a friend who once we were just talking about this and the topic came up and he said, oh yeah, once I learned about how bad cats are on wildlife, I started keeping my cat inside. And I get so mad about that in a way because I feel like we get, the the, the discourse can get dominated by the, the people who are so extreme that you forget that that you can have all these little wins of people who, who, who don't respond purely on emotion, you know, hear the, the data and then, and then change what they do. I mean, my wife has a friend who, who like once she saw a cat kill a bird and now only takes the cat out on leash, you know, there, I think there are people who, who can hear the message and do something about it. So it gets extra frustrating when Audubon, whether on the local or national level sort of shrinks from these kinds of policy showdowns um i mean I, I want to recognize american bird conservancy yes um, because they're the one as far as i can tell the one national group that does um put out some that that that, that sees this as an important policy um uh policy fight what did you guys see locally is the auto, local audubon chapter on board with this like what is the how does what's the organizational response been from local environmental organizations
3: the Audubon Society chapter was instantly active and has oh, awesome. been the yeah. majority of individuals at, at the meetings and, and engaged in this, uh, in, in this. So they, they right away, uh, got involved in that. It's a great chapter. Uh, and, and of course, because we have great birds, um, in, in Tulsa, we're the, we're the best. Um, so we're the winners of the birding community, uh, but in addition to the Audubon Society, you know, it, I mean, as a as someone who's a, a scientist and a biologist, ecologist, one of the one of the groups, so to speak, that that came out were scientists that showed up, uh, college professors, uh, people that worked in conservation. But I remember going to meet with a spokesperson. Person for one of our uh, national representatives at one point with a group of college professors, i.e. scientists, to offer our professional advice and support uh, in any uh, legislation, uh, any policy that this person might want to bring forward because we thought that they might like our expertise. And the spokesperson said, so who is your lobbyist in Washington? And we all looked at each other and went, why would we have a lobbyist in Washington? We don't, and and this spokesperson said, well, you know, representative such and so talks to the lobbyists there and then the representatives of the groups. And I'm going, so this is one of the problems, I guess is what I'd say. And And scientists are notoriously reticent to take public policy positions. It's really not their thing. And but this one I will say has brought brought some out of the woodwork. Okay. Quite a few. And we actually have a nationally um, known scientist at, at Oklahoma State University, Scott Loss, who is the first author on the Loss and Mara paper and as very engaged in this issue scientifically
4: this is fantastic and i'm really glad that we're having this conversation
1: you know hopefully other people are listening to this um and they are in other places in the country um perhaps other places in the continent other places in the world that uh, are facing similar challenges what advice or what resources do you have to offer if let's say someone in their local audubon chapter or uh, some people are Sitting around the, <laughs> the, the the water cooler at the faculty lounge at the university, um, you know, sort of talking about their frustration with um, local policies around outdoor cats. What would you say to folks who are who haven't quite organized yet?
2: Okay, I was just going to say uh, ABC American Bird Conservancy. They have the Cats indoors newsletter, and they had recognized. Tulsa for Public Safety effort and suggested that other cities uh, maybe model after this. And I have to say, I give Stephanie all the credit for putting that together because it was really her idea to go ahead and engage a marketing team. And I think that's the key is to uh, gather and Probably a lobbyist makes sense, but it's really all these disparate groups across the country, I think, coming together and forming our own national coalition to fight back against these well-lobbied, well-moneyed groups. I mean, that because there are so many little pockets of Audubons and concerned citizens all over the country, some are wildlife enthusiasts, some are birders, some are just rational people (laughs) from all walks of life. (laughs) And it just seems like getting us together is, is really key to having some power. I've been frustrated by these national outside groups who come in. They're so well organized. They're so established and they have, they play on emotions. I see that they make a lot of money from these objectives that they push So I do think there is big money behind it, and that motivates some of these larger companies to come in and push for changes in the laws. What I think we really need is more of the groups across the country who are interested in this, who are concerned about releasing animals outside to try to fend for themselves to come together. And I think that that's important to think about birders, wildlife people, lawyers, doctors, people who are stay-at-home parents, workers of all occupations just coming together who care about the same issues. And they don't want their children to grow up with a planet overrun with feral cats, which is the direction it seems we're going if we just continue this bad practice. It's a bad public policy. So it just seems like if there's a way for us to come together, American Bird Conservancy has a Cats indoors newsletter. They recommended that the the Tulsa group who is trying to talk to the public about these issues in realistic rational ways. maybe we can um, reach out to other other cities who are struggling with the, the same problems and maybe find some way for us to join forces so that we can have an impact on this and get the public education that's needed on these important issues. It's a wonderful idea to bring
3: as many disparate groups together. And one of the, one of the groups, one of the things that I think is important about this is I believe this is a social justice issue as well. This, these, these kinds of, of uh, practices can lead to, Communities that are already disenfranchised, already impoverished, already having great difficulty keeping house and home together, uh, largely through no fault of their own, lowering their their quality of life and increasing their trauma. Yeah, and no one's do-
1: dumping cats in like in, in Philadelphia in Chestnut Hill or in you know sort of wealthier neighborhoods, right? Yeah. No,
3: we, we don't have. I don't have a cat colony in my neighborhood where I live in Midtown Tulsa. And I will not have a cat colony in my neighborhood. We are not overrun with stray cats in my neighborhood. The neighborhoods, when you look at even just Tulsa animal welfare, what they put up on their website about where they collect animals in Tulsa, it is more in these communities. And if you do trap, neuter, return, you're going to just exacerbate what is already a serious public health problem and community problem in those areas. We should not ignore our citizens in those communities. We need to do better for those citizens at large. And this is an issue that the mayor has emphasized in his tenure as mayor, the importance of reconciliation, the importance of uh, investigating the Tulsa race massacre, the importance of, of in, uh, having a resilience officer in our city to help people get out of these historical disenfranchisement situations. And animals at large are a problem. And people in these communities deserve to have pets that they love and can protect as much as any of the rest of us. We know that pets help people live longer, help lower people's stress. They deserve as much as somebody who has all the resources in the world. I think that's an important group, so to speak, that we can also appeal to. Yeah,
4: the people in those communities have a right to the abundance of wildlife that they would encounter.
3: Absolutely.
4: And, you know, also the disease, like, you know, homeless people in Los Angeles are getting typhus because of these feeding stations where the, you know, the cats and, and possums and rats are mixing because rats are attracted to the feeding stations. And now typhus is, is, is uh, becoming an issue in the homeless population in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a social justice issue.
1: With that, I think we'll we'll wrap up the episode. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. I think one more time. Um, Zach, what's the the website to go to?
0: Yeah, the website is um www.stoptnr.com. So that is the uh Tulsons for Public Safety. Go there. There's a number of educational resources, there's videos, there's um, you know, uh, Firsthand accounts of how TNR operations are affecting uh, real people in the city of Tulsa. You go there. There's educational resources, all all sorts of um, you know advocacy stuff. How you can you know participate. And I really hope that uh, we can get a win here in Tulsa and start start turning back this wave of bad public policy and bad animal policy and start um, winning for humans for wildlife and for the, the cats themselves. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about, right?
1: I'll say again, you can get in touch with us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com as did Pam. This is one of our favorite ways to get ideas for stories um, and for episode topics. And you can also find us at herb wildlife cast um, on Twitter. Uh, and um, with that, thank you very much.
3: Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much. It was very illuminating. Cheers.